per your request, we're going into the annals of pro wrestling history to talk about two major events that took place today. That's happening on The Faction. Happy Wednesday, family, and welcome to another edition of The Faction. I am your man, Gerard Bonner. I hope that all is well in your world as we continue to talk about the wonderful world of pro wrestling. Thank you guys so much for your continued support for all things connected to The Faction. We are working on quite a few things, as we always are, and I have to say this, I don't take a lot of time to do this, but... We've been doing this now for many years, a lot of years as I think about it, six, seven, close to eight years, and so it's a real honor that you guys are rocking with us, to see you hanging with us, seeing us go from basically a weekly radio show to a regular podcast, it's a really, really special thing, so I don't take this for granted, thank you for rocking with us in our evolution and in our development And part of what we're doing today is going to be one of those things that's part of our evolution that I think you guys are really going to enjoy. Shout out to all of you who are following us on the socials. If you're not, you can do that right now at The Faction Show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Shouts to all of you who are also subscribed to our podcast in all of the spaces where you can find us. And if you are not subscribed, today is a great day to do that. Just hit the subscribe button wherever it is that you are listening to. Us. And if it's your first time rocking with us, we are honored and privileged that you would join us. I hope you find something here that you enjoy. So today we're going to do something a little bit different than what we might normally do, but this is based on your feedback. We were given the idea a little while ago to really take some time to dig in to some historic events that have happened. One of the things that I understand and I'm seeing more and more is that we all had different entry points into the world of pro wrestling. And as the days continue to move by and more wrestling fans join us, we also understand that some of the things that happened in times past are things that people either didn't live through or didn't experience. And in all of these cases, it is important to kind of come up to speed when it comes to certain wrestling history. What I think about our crew, I want us to be the kind of wrestling fans who obviously have great opinions about lots of things, but also can pull on history to really see just how much today either resembles or has evolved from what we have seen in times past. So we're gonna look at some history that happened specifically today, August the 9th, in pro wrestling and there are two major things that I want to get into some of them I don't know if any of us lived through others of it some of us may remember so I'm going to go back in time all the way back to this day in 1980 because you may have heard about this this might be urban legend to you but the WWE had an event called showdown at the Shea it happened at Shea Stadium in New York, Flushing Meadows, New York. And in case you don't know about Shea Stadium, because one of the things that I realize is Shea Stadium is no longer 
active. Shea Stadium was a venue that played home for many years to the New York Mets. There was a time in the 70s where not only did it play home for the New York Mets, but it also played home to football's New York Jets. And in 1975, Shea Stadium became the first stadium to actually be home to two baseball teams and two football teams simultaneously. The New York Yankees in 1975 were actually performing renovations on Yankee Stadium, and then the New York Giants were using Shea Stadium while the Meadowlands was being built. So pretty crazy time when you think about that. That was 1975. Well, we can go all the way back to 1972 for the birth of this event called Showdown at the Shea. So here's why this is important. Because these days in the WWE, we have a number of stadium shows. SummerSlam was just one of them. And if you go back, we can go back to WrestleMania 23, where Vince McMahon made the decision that from here on out, WrestleMania will be a stadium show. Now, here's why that happened. Because WrestleMania 20... 21 and 22 were all held in arenas. WrestleMania 20 was held in the birthplace of WrestleMania. That is Madison Square Garden in New York City. WrestleMania 21 was in the Staples Center in LA. And then WrestleMania 22 was at the Allstate Arena in Chicago, Illinois. All of them were arena shows that could seat, you know, 15, 16,000 people. Vince McMahon felt like WrestleMania should be much bigger, should be in stadiums. So, fun fact, WrestleMania 22 was the last WrestleMania in an arena. Everywhere else went to the stadiums. But this whole look at the stadium show actually can go back for WWE to 1972 with this showdown at the Shea. Now, here's what happened with showdown at the Shea. What WWE did was they held three of these events, but they did it like the Olympics every four years. So there was a showdown at the Shea in 1972, a showdown at the Shea in 1976, and then a showdown at the Shea in 1980. The showdown at the Shea in 1980 is the one that took place on this particular date, August the 9th. Now, before I dig into that, I want to actually, since we're talking about showdown at the Shea, I want to talk about what happened on the previous two showdowns at the Shea. So, of course, all of these were held at Shea Stadium in New York. The first one in 1972 had a recorded attendance of 22,508 fans. Now, the way that the setup was, was that the ring was on the field and the audience, for the most part, were in the stands and there might be a couple, you know, around the ring, but it certainly wasn't drafted or put together the way that stadium shows are now. So in that first stadium show, Showdown at the Shea in 1972, there were seven matches. And so just to show you how things are different, this happened on September the 30th, 1972, and it kicked off with a tag team match that involved what we would call today as little people, 
Then they called them midgets. Little Beaver and Little Louie defeated Pee Wee Adams and Sonny Boy Hayes. Now, I want to mention a few names that you might be familiar with because in match three, Jack Briscoe defeated Mr. Fuji. You might know Mr. Fuji as a manager. Jack Briscoe was one of the Stooges, but both of them were accomplished wrestlers. Gorilla Monsoon, who was known to many as an amazing commentator, was actually wrestling on this card, and he defeated Big Cat Ernie Ladd after they fought to a time limit draw, and the referee made a decision in terms of who would win. Pretty crazy times. Both of them are Hall of Famers for WWE. Chief J. Strongbow and Sonny King defeated Captain Lou Albano and the spoiler. Yes, Captain Lou Albano, the famous manager, was also a wrestler. There was actually a women's title match on this card in 1972 as the fabulous Moolah, who held the title for something like 28 years, defeated Debbie Johnson. The main event for the showdown at the Shea in 1972 saw Pedro Morales, who was the WWF champion, now known as the WWE title, he fought Bruno Sammartino. The match ended in a curfew draw, and it went 75 minutes. Now, here's why all of that's important. Curfew draw means that the WWE had to be out of Shea Stadium at a certain time. And so literally the time went up until that moment and then the curfew caused the match to stop. So we never really got a winner between Pedro Morales and Bruno Sammartino. Now you'll want to remember that because that will come back up at a future showdown at the Shea. So now then let's move to the second presentation of Showdown at the Shea. I hope you guys are enjoying this. This is kind of fun. Second presentation of Showdown at the Shea happened in 1976, June the 25th to be specific, again at Shea Stadium. This one featured six matches. And there's something very interesting about this one, which I'm going to tell you once we get to it. It started with Ivan Putsky taking on and defeating Baron Michael Cicluna. Jose Gonzalez and Kevin Sullivan were in a time limit draw. Yes, the crazy, deranged Kevin Sullivan actually wrestled in WWE. That's pretty wild. Chief J. Strongbow and Billy White Wolf, who were the WWWF Tag Team Champions, defeated the Executioners in a two out of three falls match. Andre the Giant made an appearance here, defeating Chuck Webner in a singles match by countout. Bruno Sammartino was the WWE champion, and he defeated Stan Hansen. And then Antonio Inoki fought Muhammad Ali in a draw. So here are a couple of things that were interesting. Two of these matches involved boxers versus wrestlers. Andre the Giant and Chuck Webner. Chuck Webner was a known boxer. Andre the Giant, obviously a wrestler. The wrestler won that particular match. The Antonio Inoki-Muhammad Ali match actually took place in Tokyo, Japan. It was the main event of Showdown at the Shea. And so those at Showdown at the Shea actually watched this on closed circuit TV at Shea Stadium. I should also mention that 32,000 attended this event, which is about 10,000 more than the first Showdown at the Shea. And it was pretty incredible to see, again, this theme of wrestler versus boxer in 1976 and again predating wrestlemania you get closed circuit tv in 1976 at shea stadium 
And those 32,000 in attendance sat in their seats and watched on a screen Antonio Inoki versus Muhammad Ali, which ended in a draw live from Tokyo, Japan. So now that takes us to 1980. The event that happened on this day in 1980, showdown at the Shea, at Shea Stadium, the largest attendance of these three events as it was 36,295 in attendance. And because of the larger crowd, this one actually had 13 matches compared to the six matches in 1976, and the seven matches in 1972. Again, some very interesting names that I'm going to mention. I'm not going to go through all of the results, but some of these names are names that you will clearly remember and go, holy cow. For instance, in match three, Tatsumi Fujinami defeated Chavo Guerrero, not Chavo Guerrero Jr., but his dad, Chavo Guerrero. And this was a singles match where Fujinami retained the WWF Junior Heavyweight Championship. Now, of course, that predates what was once known as the Cruiserweight title. Pretty fun. Antonio Anoki, who was the NWF Heavyweight Champion. That's right, a title outside of the WWE. He was there and he defeated Larry Sharp. Now, remember, Antonio Anoki was in the main event of Showdown at the Shea four years earlier, coming to you on closed circuit from Tokyo, Japan. Bob Backlund and Pedro Morales defeated the Wild Samoans. Afa and Sika in a two out of three falls matchup to become the new WWE tag team champions. Now, there's a couple of interesting things about this. Number one, Afa and Sika, of course, the wild Samoans. Afa is the uncle of Roman Reigns. Sika is the father of Roman Reigns. And the Wild Samoans long heralded as one of the greatest tag teams in all of pro wrestling. Now, here's the other interesting thing about this. Bob Backlund at this time was the WWE champion. And there was a rule at that time that you could not hold two titles simultaneously. So after Bob Backlund and Pedro Morales won the title, they had to vacate the championships since Bob Backlund was the WWE champion. Pretty wild rule. And there's a part of me that asks myself, why even have the tag title match if you'd have to give up the titles because of said rule? Nonetheless, that match was right in the middle of the card. Pat Patterson defeated Tor Kamala in this event. The Fabulous Mula and Beverly Shade were in a tag match, defeating Candy Malloy and Peggy Lee. Greg Gagne defeats Quick Draw Rick McGraw. And this is a big deal because Greg Gagne is the son of Vern Gagne. Greg Gagne had long been in the AWA. So seeing that he actually wrestled on a WWE show, it's kind of a big deal. Tony Atlas, WWE Hall of Famer, defeated Ken Patera in a match for the Intercontinental Championship, but he won that by countout, so Patera would retain the Intercontinental Championship. So let's go to the two matches that really headlined the showdown at the Shed. Andre the Giant defeated Hulk Hogan at showdown at the Shea. Now for wrestling fans who did not know that Andre the Giant had defeated Hulk Hogan, you may have thought that WrestleMania 3 was the first encounter between Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan, but it was not. It had actually happened seven years earlier. And now one of the big differences between 1980 and 1987 is Vince McMahon Jr. 
because Vince McMahon Sr. had no problem telling the world what happened historically. Vince McMahon Jr. pretty much behaved as though, hey, if it didn't happen on my watch, it didn't happen. And so most did not even know that Showdown at the Shade happened with Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant if you weren't there because there was no WWE Network, there was no internet, so there was no way to go back and actually see that this had happened. Pretty wild. The main event was Bruno Sammartino defeating Larry Zabisco in a steel cage match. The story here is that Zabisco was the protege of Bruno Sammartino and ultimately turned on Bruno Sammartino, leading to a brutal and bloody cage match. So all very interesting things. This particular card happened on this day in 1980, showdown at the Shea, which would predate WrestleMania. WrestleMania wouldn't show up for another four and a half years after the showdown at the Shea. And a lot of life changed in terms of WWE having massive events. But before we had a WrestleMania, a SummerSlam, a Royal Rumble, a Survivor Series, we had the showdown at the Shea. The final one took place on this day in 1980 at Shea Stadium. Now, I told you that there were two big events that happened on this day that you might remember. I'm going to get into the second one when we come back. This is a total package, Lex Luger, and you are turned into the faction. I've known Dylan since he was 15. I've known what a crazy fanatic he's been. He never just went and played. So what are you doing? Well, you know, I gotta plan the show first. He wants to be the guy shaping. Dylan used to run shows back in his hometown, and ever since he moved to Atlanta, I know that he's been really wanting to start his own company here. I had that fear of not being what's interesting in Atlanta. I said, I'm gonna start my own wrestling promotion. You need to get in a room with this guy. Because at the end of the day, wrestling had grown stale in Georgia. I'm like, dude, this guy's ruffling everybody's feathers. Dylan learned that I'm impatient, and I announced that we were gonna start a promotion 90 days later. And I knew that I had no content. But then I started to see all the things that he was doing. It was starting to look really professional. Gary had stirred up so much shit. We were gonna be the laughing stock of the entire city if we didn't deliver. Perception's reality. How did we get on Southern Honor? What was the process of them walking over there like, I'm gonna do that? I thought, honestly, he was dead. You hear his brain swelling. I literally thought Southern Honor was probably done. You always told me, if you don't like an idea, come up with a better idea. You're telling me you won't listen to the idea? And we're gonna pack 1,000 people. I couldn't wait for an answer from Chris. We weren't sure. No confirmation. Hey, is taking How about that? Oh. The lights are going out here. The first indie show I've ever done in 23 years was with Southern Honor, and now everyone's talking about this company. Nothing bigger than that's ever gonna happen here. A few minutes later, it was extremely hard to maintain relationships because I was working with Gary. I don't know that they would go to war for me. They would go to war for Dylan. Finally, this year is going to be mine. COVID. I can honestly say my last match will be here just because Southern Honor is that special to me. So many things that have happened in my life that you could write on paper and it would read as a book. And Southern Honor is just another chapter. As long as there's a win and there's a you, there will always be a S-H-W.
Yo, 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 it's your boy JTG, aka the author of Damn Why Did I Write This Book 2, How to Play the Game, and you are listening to The Faction on Bonafide Radio. Cheer! I hope you guys are enjoying this trip down memory lane as much as I'm enjoying bringing it to you. For some, this may be the first time you've ever heard of any of this information, and that's cool. That's what we like here at The Faction. We love bringing you information that you may not have known before that now can really help deepen your pro wrestling knowledge. So we're talking about things that happened on this particular day in wrestling history, today being August the 9th. Well, this particular event, I imagine that some of you either have heard about, lived through, or have believed this is urban legend and may have had a chance to actually see it. But this particular day in 1999, we finally found out who the Millennium Man was. So let me set the stage for you. Picture it. Sicily, 1917. No, seriously. Picture it. Leading into this date, there was this millennium clock that would show up on WWE, and nobody really knew what it was. Now, I have to remind you of this. Going into 2000, there was what was called the Y2K problem. So here's what the Y2K problem was. There was a concern going into the new millennium, 2000, that because of the ways that computers were programmed, that computers were not programmed to be able to handle moving into 2000 because everything was done up until 1999. So what would happen when the clock struck midnight on January the 1st, 2000? People were afraid that all the lights would go out, that the world would just fall apart, all of these kinds of things. So they dubbed it the Y2K problem. So if you want to know why Chris Jericho got the name Y2J, it was because of his connection to the countdown to the millennium. That's how that happened. So this countdown to the millennium would show up on Monday Night Raw week after week after week. And I have to remind you again, at this point in 1999, SmackDown had not debuted. Monday Night Raw was the flagship show and the only regular live weekly show for WWE. So with that said, we get to this day in 1999. Chris Jericho, unbeknownst to a number of people, had wrapped up his time in WCW, a time where he was quite frankly very frustrated, felt like people weren't seeing his full potential, and he would make his way into WWE on this day in 1999. It was a long-awaited debut. Many have considered this for years the greatest WWE debut of all time. It happened where this countdown to the millennium clock would hit zero right during the middle of a promo from The Rock. Now, I'm pretty sure you know this much, but in case you don't, certainly in 1999, The Rock was the hottest star in WWE. It was certainly a battle between him and Stone Cold. But think about this. Monday Night Raw was a two-hour show. At this point when it happened, it was close to the start of the second hour. So we are right in the middle of this show. When this clock would appear and all of a sudden the lights would go out, much like it was proposed that it could happen with the Y2K problem, lights show up, fireworks go off, and we find out that the millennial man is Chris Jericho. And the world went crazy. 
We really see the rise of the star of Chris Jericho beginning here on this night. Chris Jericho would go on to become really an incredible force in pro wrestling, spending a lot of years in WWE before venturing over to New Japan Pro Wrestling, doing some things there, and then helping to launch AEW in 2019. So then, yeah, big, big things happened on this particular day in the history of pro wrestling. There was Showdown at the Shea in 1980. There was Chris Jericho making his long-awaited debut into WWE. And in his immortal words, nothing would ever be the same again. And it wasn't. Chris Jericho went on to become multi-time Intercontinental Champion, nine times to be precise. He would go on to win Tag Team Gold, European Gold, and of course the WWE Champion. His claim to fame would be just two years later, in 2001, December of 2001, when he would defeat The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin in the same night, unifying the WWE and WCW World Championships to become the first undisputed world champion. It's kind of hard to believe that that was 2001. And in December, that'll be 22 years ago. Crazy. So that's a trip down memory lane. For some, it's not a memory because some of us didn't live through that. Others did, and others are just hearing about this. Either way, I want to know what you thought about our presentation of this today. By all means, let us know on the socials at The Faction Show, or you can send us a direct message as well. Either way, and if you'd like for us to do more of it, let us know as well. Tonight, of course, you've got dynamite happening for aew should be interesting as dynamite is now on episode 201 on the way to all in a massive event that will be happening at wembley stadium at the end of this month tomorrow night of course you've got ring of honor and impact wrestling friday smackdown which should be very very interesting as well as aew rampage and then saturday night you've got collision by the way i also want to get your thoughts on the new commentary team for monday night raw that being the well-traveled michael cole and wade barrett who are literally coming over from SmackDown. The Raw team is headed over to SmackDown, and they too will be joined by Michael Cole. All of that, I think, is pretty intriguing for sure. Congratulations to Michael Cole, who this assignment happened because of the request of the owners at Endeavor, which says an awful lot about what they believe about Michael Cole. They want Cole to be deemed the voice of the WWE. So congratulations to him. 25-year career and counting, and by all accounts, he's certainly the voice for a lot of memories in all things WWE. Let me also ask you this question, because Corey Graves Saturday night deemed Michael Cole the greatest commentator ever. Now, do you believe that? Let's get your thoughts on that right now on the socials at The Faction Show. With that said, we'll get out of here. Have an absolutely amazing day. Representing for my good brothers, Courtney Beard, Brandon Clack, and the fourth horseman, John Murray. I am Gerard Bonner, and this is The Faction. I lead my people, here we go.